Welcome to The Q Word, a podcast about the tips, trends, and taboos of emergency nursing, where we pull the hospital curtain back on issues that emergency nurses and their patients often think about but seldom talk about. You found the Q Word Podcast. Good morning, Nisa. How are you? Hi, Lisa. I'm doing good. Are you hanging in? I'm hanging in. It's been a minute. So one of the things that I've noticed that just gives me a little bit of delight is you and I both are big fans of podcasts, obviously, and we listen to a lot of professionally produced podcasts with big budgets and producers and researchers and writers and advertisers and Patreon accounts and (laughs) thousands and and thousands of followers and millions of downloads per episode. Correct. And these folks are sheltering in place. And so as they are creating their podcast, they are doing it like we do it every single episode. And so I love to hear how the sound quality has changed just a smidge (laughs) and the squeaking of the chair and the kid interrupting or the dog barking, all things that we deal with all the time. Um, Some of our most favorite paid podcasters are dealing with now too and it just gives me a little bit of delight it's great and then I think other paying these professional editors who aren't even taking the time to edit out these background noises like I painstakingly attempt to do not perfect but I try so it has been fun it's made me feel a lot more professional or at least made made me feel like I'm 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 a closer related to these professional podcasters that's right I thought before say welcome to the club guys because this is how we've been doing it all along (laughs) welcome to the ghetto. This is how it's done. We just cobble this stuff together with bubble gum and random recordings. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? What is this special topic that we meant to discuss last week that uh, we're glad we're finally getting to visit today? Well, I wanted to start by telling you about one of my favorite authors. Her name is Gretchen Rubin, and she is a New York Times bestselling author. And she has written a number of books, but one in particular is about habits. It's called Better Than Before. And so what she does is she researches how to start a good habit, how to keep a good habit, why we break habits. Um, and she gives a lot of strategies for, um, for that. In fact, she has 21 strategies for how to create and keep good habits. And so um, just some examples of some of her strategies One is one of my favorite ones that she uses is called pairing and pairing is when you want to start a good habit. So let's say I want to do a hundred sit-ups a day. So I'm going to pair that new habit with a habit that I already have established, for instance, brushing my teeth. So I brush my teeth twice a day. That's already a habit that I have established. So I'm going to, when I brush my teeth, it will be my cue. Oh, I need to do 50 sit-ups. And then tonight when I, right before bed and I brush my teeth again, that's my second cue. I'm going to do 50 more sit-ups. So I've paired those two habits together. So that's one of, one of the 21 strategies. It's a great one. And this is what you've been doing every day since you read this book, your 50 setups while you brush your teeth in the morning and 50 setups in the afternoon when you brush it at night. Oh, definitely no. No, I'm feeding myself <laughs> in COVID with snacks, not sit-ups. <laughs> like, because you must be ripped, girl. It's literally the opposite. I've only seen you from the neck up for the last month and a half, but I don't know what's going on with the kind of 12-pack you were sporting after you do not have sit-ups a day. <laughs> so she has, has, uh, has pared it down to 21 different habits, and that's one example. But one of the most 
effective um, strategies that she talks about is called the lightning bolt. And she says that this is a really highly effective strategy. And what that means is instead of taking little small steps or coming up with a detailed plan of rewards and schedules and monitoring, whatever, this there's something that happens that is a lightning strike in your life that makes you stop what you're doing or start something good in the moment. And it just happens like that. And you do a 180 and it's, it's ingrained now into your life. Um, and so it's very, very effective. The problem is it's also very rare and it's not something that you can invoke on command. It's usually in response to something that has happened to you. It's, it's some sort of unexpected circumstance that like a shock to the system. Correct. That's right. So there are lots of things that can trigger lightning bolts. It can be, um, you know, milestones, accidents, crisis, and they jolt us into something. She says it smacks us into a new reality or a new idea. Okay. And I believe that we are at a time in nursing where we have just experienced a lightning bolt. We are really kind of currently continuing to experience a lightning bolt with the COVID-19 crisis. If you are COVID exhausted, you should be forewarned that this is a this is a podcast about some of the consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic. So, well, I mean, to be fair, it's a lightning bolt for for many people to take this imposed new world order um, and make changes for the better. But you're seeing this as an opportunity that the nursing world and healthcare can use very specifically for an important reason. That's right. And so you are correct that this is a lightning bolt for literally every industry and or it's a it's a it's it has an impact on every single person probably on the planet. It's a galvanizing moment that we are all going through. Right. So what I'm asking is I'm asking for the nursing profession, the nursing culture to use this as a habit changing lightning bolt. Okay. Um, so what what we know is because of the COVID pandemic this last semester um, the spring semester and in many, many cases on into the summer semester and potentially into the fall semester, our nursing students, our respiratory therapy students, our medic students, um, our med students, uh, they have not had typical semesters. So what that means is they have been doing online classes like everyone else, but they missed out on clinicals. They missed out on sim lab experiences. They missed out on their specialty rotations, like the day they were supposed to spend in the operating room or the day they were supposed to spend in the ER. Right. They missed out on preceptorships if they were seniors. These are really, really important learning experiences. They're kinetic. They're the places where the things that they've read in their textbooks and the lectures that they heard sort of uh, cement right. and make sense and click and get, you know, put pieces together. And these have all been missing. So a standard nursing program is a two-year program, is that correct? Yes. So right. they're missing basically 25% of that's their right. education. That's right. And so for the seniors, they missed out on their entire preceptorship, which is a huge, huge practical um, educational experience. But every single semester of nursing student, that's four semesters, four classes that have been impacted. And that's just from the spring. So we're looking at summer and potentially fall also being impacted. So we have a group of nursing students that will be graduating with an unconventional nursing school experience. And they will be in many ways at a disadvantage through no fault of their own. 
because of COVID. So we're going to have at least four or eight cohorts of students that will have gone through missing the hands-on opportunities and interactive opportunities of a standard brick-and-mortar educational system. Yeah, through no fault of their own. That's right. Exactly. So um, we can look at other experiences of other industries and other groups to see what kind of implications this might have. So for instance, when September 11th terrorist attacks happened, that was a lightning bolt. And again, it impacted everyone worldwide permanently. We still have things that are put in that were put in place post 9-11. Shoes at airports. That's right. Taking off your shoes at the airport. That's right. Not being able to bring a bottle of water in. Just, I'm, I'm still amazed when I go through an airport. It's just how ingrained those new procedures have become. Right. And you and I are old enough to remember what pre-9-11 was like. That you just walked on through there, sashayed your little self right through yeah. with your... And playing airport tag at the Atlanta International Airport down through mm-hmm. the terminals when we were in college because there was nothing else to do. Now you can't even get back there without a ticket. No, unheard of. So anecdotally, we know that it impacted the flight attendant industry. So if you think about those of us who have flown pre-9-11, you probably remember that the flight attendant number one priority was customer service. They provided you with a pillow and they made sure you had a snack and they wanted your experience to be top notch and for everyone to be comfortable. And that was their number one priority. And safety and security were number two and three. And then they had this lightning bolt that happened, and those priorities got rearranged. And so now security is absolutely by far head and shoulders number one. Safety comes next, and customer service comes third. And so if, they're, if they need to inconvenience you for what they see as a safety or security issue, they will because of what happened on September 11th. So their industry was upended, and it has been a permanent change. The other thing that happened that's very interesting, again, anecdotally, is that in the flight attendant industry, there was a division and it was the, you didn't know how things were before 9-11 versus the, you only know what it's like to work after 9-11. And so there was this division of the kind of us and them situation that happened that caused some, you know, difficulty in the flight attendant culture. Right. We also know that the medical students, and you may have some, you may have seen some of this or some input on this, the physician industry has already been impacted by the COVID-19 in this kind of a way. Med students graduate in April, or they, I take it back, they finish in April. They finish all of their requirements for medical school in April. So they become MDs, having fulfilled every requirement um, but there's a lull between when they begin their job, which be, what ha, which happens on July 1st. Right, their residencies. Right. There's this just sort of, I don't know, what is it, a pause, a vacation? Uh, what do uh, they do? Some of them do specialized trainings. Uh, some of them are taking boot camp courses. Um, so before they go to their residency, many of them are getting married right now. Um, well, usually um, the COVID has suspended a lot of weddings, but... But some of them will take a vacation for a month. Many of them are moving. So, but there are uh, seminars and boot camps and specialized training uh, that I do know many of my students are taking between finding out where their residency is and actually getting started. In a normal year, but in this a, year we year. had COVID, right? Yeah. So let's let's break down this timing. So they complete all of their requirements in April and they become MDs. 
that is also when the peak of the COVID, the COVID was hitting and where we had this huge surge and where we were still trying to figure out the science and the data behind it. And so these physicians got called into working environments. They were recruited to come on in to ICUs, to come on into ERs and help with this surge. And when they did, many of them in certain markets did not have MD on their badge, although that's what they were. So there are reports that they had not, this is not something that they were just being called behind their back. This was printed on their badge, COVID-19 junior physician. Okay. In other places, uh, assistant physician, which is a totally different thing. That's a physician's assistant, right? Right. That's a mid-level provider. Uh, Some of them were referred to as temporary physicians or surge physicians. And so they already were being made others. They were already being put in this category of different because of COVID. And so what I can see in my crystal ball is that this may be headed our way in the nursing industry as well. And I think based on what we already know and what we can see coming, that we can do better. So I am sending out a warning and an appeal to the nurses. Okay. So, so you're, you're, this is going out to current nurses, experienced nurses, preceptors, managers, administrators, right? And this, and the students themselves that, that have been impacted by COVID. Yes. All right. So what is it that they can do to change this? This is the eat your young culture you're talking about. That's right. So my warning is let's don't make it them and us. Let's don't make it. You didn't know what it was like to work before COVID. You didn't know what it was like to work without a mask every day. You didn't know what it was like to have to go through blah, blah, blah. Let's prevent that division that we can see coming on the horizon. Um, And also my appeal is we've talked about it and talked about it and beat it to death with the small steps of changing habit change that Gretchen Rubin talks about, about getting rid of this culture of nurses eating their young and us bullying our nursing students or our preceptees. We just had a lightning bolt. It is time for us to get rid of it once and for all. And these nursing students that are coming out need it more than any other cohort ever has. So what actions do you think are are possible? How do you shift that paradigm? Is it just a question of language? Is it instead of saying, well, you don't know what it was like before this, is it saying prior to COVID, this was how we did things, but now in the new world, we do it this way without trying to belittle or or um, become superior over the person that you're speaking to with less experience? Yeah, that's a, that's a huge part of it is um, not creating this us and them. Um, I think in our last episode, I referenced an article, it was October 2019 in the ENA Connections, where they were talking about this, uh, getting rid of this terrible habit that we have of bullying. And one of my favorite interventions that I mentioned before was we just don't say it anymore. We don't say nurses eat their young because that's no longer acceptable. Mm-hmm. We're getting rid of it. Um, it's not a, it's not a mentality that we endorse anymore. We're not playing that game. And so, um, There are some other interventions in this article that I really liked. One is that you call it out. So when you are a third party to it and you see someone being belittled or you see someone being treated inappropriately because they are a preceptee or a nursing student, you call it out and say, hey, did you really mean for that to come out the way you said it? Because, ouch, that was Mm -hmm. that was rough. You know, that was really rough. 
And then the other thing is for for the leadership, for people who are in charge nurse positions or educator positions, for people who are preceptors, bring it to the front of the mind. So talk about it in your huddles. Talk about it in your staff meetings. Be very clear to your staff what your expectation is, that you do not tolerate this. And ultimately, if you have someone who continues to make these infractions, they got to go. I see. Because it's about the culture. And this goes all the way back to uh, the Three and a Half Lies episode, which I think was episode two. Um, You have to be the complete package as a nurse. And now after this lightning strike, part of the package should become truly being um, inclusive and not being divisive between um, your generation of nurse and the incoming generation of nurse. It should just be about nurse and about patient and about healthcare. But not about, and obviously people who have been there longer have more experience. They will know more. They will have uh, information to to pass along. Um, And they should be respected as the elder statesmen in the job. But it doesn't have to be a um, superior, inferior type of relationship. That's right. That's right. You were there once and someone precepted you. Um, Hopefully they didn't bully you. Um, but if they did, use that as a guide to of something what not to do. Got it. It's important to know that I, in my experience, what I have seen is every cohort of nursing student, particularly those new grads that come into the ER, it is a very steep learning curve to come into the ER. It's a very hard place to come as a new grad, but it's not impossible. In fact, people do very well as new grads in the emergency room with the proper support. Um, but... Every semester, there's one or two that is not the right fit. Um, and and that's not going to change, whether we are talking about COVID cohorts or very nurturing departments that are, um, are really hands-on with, with their preceptees. There are still some that just aren't quite a good fit. Got it. And good managers, and I've seen this, I've seen what happens when a good manager um, encounters one of these Uh, new hires that's not quite making it in the emergency room. Please remember that this is their first nursing job and that firing them from their first nursing job can drive them away from the profession altogether. If there is any way to recover them and move them into a position, find what it is that is their strength. And, you know, maybe a low acuity med surge floor would be a good place for them. Maybe they're super detail oriented and can't get the pace of the ER. And so they would do really well in an ICU but work with them to move them into a position that's more suited for them. And that's what I have seen. Very rarely do they end up fired. Well, that's good to hear. So, but that sounds like an upper management issue, right? Yes. Being able to see the whole picture of the hospital and identify uh, a hole in one place that can be filled with somebody who isn't working properly in a different department. That's right. So what can the nurses that are being breached, these young first-gen nurses um, that are going to be coming into the hospitals as uh, fresh nurses, uh, what are they supposed to do? How can they help this situation along? What can they do to empower themselves? Yeah, that's a great question. So I have um, a little spiel that I give to all new grad nurses about how you can sort of fast forward your experience or just really latch on and dig into this new experience that you're having. I think for the, the cohorts that are coming out of this COVID where they didn't get those experiences that we talked about, this will be even more important. Mm-hmm. 
So the number one thing is always ask lots and lots of questions, including when you have some downtime, pick the nurse's brains and say things like, what's, what is the, you know, tell me about your first med error or tell me about a really great catch that you made. Tell me about your favorite success story. And you can do a lot of vicarious learning through storytelling Mm -hmm. and other people's experiences. Um, You can also do tabletop scenarios. So ask your preceptor to give you some, you know, we walked into our trach patient's room and they have coughed out their trach. What are you going to do? And then you tabletop it before you actually have the real experience. That's a great way to learn when there's a little bit of downtime. So this um, is, instead of saying the Q word, they should be having these conversations. Exactly. Oh, All right. It. So if yes. you feel yourself angling towards saying, wow, it's Q word. Yeah. Ask instead, hey. Let's, let's chat about some stuff. Let's yes. role play a little bit. Yeah. I love a real-time debrief. I love, you know, you're discharging a patient or you're sending patient to the floor or the ICU and for you to talk to your preceptor and say, okay, if we had that patient to do over right now, that exact patient rolled into the room, what would we do differently? You know, or here are the things that I learned about that and that the next time I see a pulmonary edema patient, I'm going to do differently. Got it. Uh, definitely join your professional organization. So for ER nurses, there's some options. You've got the Emergency Nurses Association. You've also got the Society for Trauma Nurses, if you are particularly interested in trauma or work at a trauma center. And then the American Nurses Association, which is kind of the umbrella organization. I recommend the more specialized organizations, um, but you do you. Um, <laughs> Also, I noted that the uh, Board for Certification of Emergency Nurses, which is the organization that puts out the certification exams, mm-hmm. they just created a, a, an actual curriculum for new grads coming in to an ER. So if you're at a small hospital and they don't offer a, a residency or they don't have a, a real formalized orientation, this might be for you. If you're going into a larger facility that does have something really robust and something really formal, this is probably too much to do at the same time. Got it. Um, but it's a, it's a great option and it's brand new. Um, if there are some lab opportunities at your facility that you can sign up for, definitely take advantage of those. Also, if there are additional classes that you can take, so maybe someone's coming to do a lecture on burns or maybe uh, there's a drug rep that's going to sponsor a talk about their medication or whatever, take those opportunities. Those, that's free learning. You will always walk away with something. Um, Getting involved in your unit by volunteering for some kind of committee is a great way to get involved and to learn. Google something every day. So that's something that was told to me when I was on orientation by nurse practitioner Sharon, and she's a genius. And she said, every day when you go home, Google something, even something simple like diarrhea. you know what it is, you've had it, I've had it, your patient had it, but what are the implications? What does it do to your electrolytes? What are, can it be deadly? Spoiler alert, it can. So Google something from a nurse's standpoint. Now you've got this new vision of being an ER nurse. What does diarrhea mean for my patient? And then one other kind of controversial suggestion is to work overtime. You know, when you come off orientation, the more shifts you pick up, the more you're fast forwarding your experience. That's not for everyone. That's not in every department. And it can lead to some burnout. So be judicious with it. And one thing I would say about working overtime is don't ever plan your budget counting on those overtime shifts. That, um, that will get you into a financial mess. But that's a whole nother thing. So what I'm hearing here is 
not only is the responsibility on the current uh, nurses um, and administration and management to change this culture, but the incoming class not only needs to um, stand up for themselves, but they also can't be complacent. Just getting the degree, getting that pin and going out into the world, now you've got the job. Um, you still have to remain curious. You still have to remain vigilant. You still have to be a go-getter. You have to continue to learn. If you don't want to be othered by the professionals that you work with, you have to uh, continue going for it and become just as professional as they. That's right. So if you show the same amount of curiosity, if you continue to run things down, um, be imaginative, um, always seek out educational opportunities, then that puts you on an even footing with those professionals who've been in the field for 20 or 30 years who don't necessarily maybe need to learn the skills that you have to, but who have shown uh, that they are, that they've earned that, that their place and you are working just as hard as they are. That's right. And so it is It is on both ends. Um, their orientations may need to be longer. The preceptors are going to be explaining things in more detail. They're not going to have had those, they're not going to have started as many IVs or inserted as many Foley's. So they're going to need a little bit more of that experience. Um, I know that hospitals are hurting right now because census was low for a long time during COVID. It's starting to pick up, at least in my experience now. And so a lot of them are looking at ways to cut budgets. Cutting the time of new grad orientation should not be an option, particularly with this class. They're yeah, they going to make an investment in the future. Yes, they're going to need every minute of their orientation and maybe longer than a typical new grad would because of the disadvantages that they were at, again, through no fault of their own. So let's anticipate this. Let's work together. Let's support this group um, and let's get rid of this bad habit right now. Right. Take advantage of this earth-shattering, world-changing pandemic, which has forced all of us to have to re-examine the way we do things and how the world works and make some positive changes. These are small like attitude shifts that can have, I think, a really big um, cascading impact upon the world. That's right. And it's long overdue. And now is the time. Mm -hmm. And so our, you know, our usual call to action is for you to like us on Facebook and to, you know, give us a rating on iTunes, which we love mm -hmm. to be sure. You can still um, do that. Yeah, you can still do that. For this episode, if you agree and if you think this is an important um, change that needs to be made, which I hope that you do, please share this with your manager or your charge nurse or your educator, share it with nursing students, yeah. share it with nursing school professors. Um, we're all in this together. We're all navigating uncharted territory and we want it to be successful. We need it to be successful. So I have some nursing students in my life that I love. As you know, I got to be an instructor for a couple of semesters. And so my ladies, and I can say that because it was a women's college, so they were all ladies. My ladies graduated. They got pinned on May 14th uh, in their homes. Actually, I don't think they even had a pinning. And then um, some kind of virtual commencement on May 16th. And they mean a whole, whole lot to me. And there are legions of them out there. Um, and we love nursing students at the Keyword Podcast. And we love new grads at the Keyword Podcast. So this episode is dedicated to the ladies of the Wesleyan Nursing Class Spring 2020. Oh, there she goes. Both Anissa and I were Wesleyans. We met there, and it was so 
thrilled when Nisa got asked to go back and teach there. And I know she was as well. So for the Wesleyans who just graduated, a class of 2020 from the nursing school, which was not there when we were students there many years ago, yeah. but which we know is producing amazing healthcare professionals. We are so proud of you. And Nisa is um, a little misty-eyed and yeah. uh, emotional. So I'm stepping yeah. in to speak for her, for both of us in the Keyword Podcast. Um, congratulations. You guys have earned it. Now go out there and change the world and make it a better place. That's right. We are pulling for you. We love you. And uh, good work, ladies. Good work getting through this crazy, crazy time. Absolutely. No no one has done nursing school like you just did it. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> well, folks, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We will talk again soon. And Nisa, I love you. Keep up the good work. All right. You too, Lisa. Bye. Bye.